Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Uh, Welcome. Good to see you this morning. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 in the cafe. God bless you all. We love you. Open your Bibles with us. We're taking a look at one more of the stories that Jesus told. This one is typically called the the story, the parable of the barren tree, the the barren fig tree. Um, It's a fascinating parable with a very, very important message for all of us today. But before I tell it, Let me let Johnny Cash tell it. This is a a music video from a Johnny Cash song called God's Gonna Cut You Down. Uh, Pay close attention to the faces on the screen. They're all faces that you know. And there's something rather amazing to me that these people let their faces be used in this context. Johnny Cash, God's gonna cut you down. Watch this. Well, you know, Johnny always wore black. And he uh, he wore black because he identified with the the poor and the uh, and the, and, the, and the downtrodden. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee, talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me with a voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet. He called my name and my heart stood still. When he said, John, go do my will. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut him down, tell him that God's gonna cut him down. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down, sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Well, you may throw your rock, hide your hand, working in the dark against your fellow man. But as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar, go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut you down, tell him that God's gonna cut you down, tell him that God's gonna cut you down. God's gonna cut you down. I find it amazing that that many celebrities, all at the height of their fame, allowed themselves to be used in, in, in that video because honestly, God's going to cut them down. And that's what the message is. And that's what the message of this parable is today. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 1. 
if we agree and all recognize that God is going to cut us down, then the question becomes, why hasn't he done it already? Why hasn't he done it already? And this is where this parable comes in. Luke chapter 13. The actual parable is in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. But I'm going to go all the way back to verse 1 because it's important, especially in this parable. It's important to understand what happens just before Jesus tells the parable so that you understand how to interpret the parable. We've got to start back in the context. So Luke chapter 13, verse 1 is where we'll be. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked? Is is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners in Jerusalem? No, and I tell you again that unless you repent, you will also perish. Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Okay, as I said, it's important in this particular instance especially to get a sense of the context here because Jesus is is preaching, speaking, and he's interrupted. He's interrupted because somebody wants to talk about current events. Now, they come to inform Jesus that something horrible has happened, or they're asking Jesus about this situation that has happened. What is it that happened? Back in verse 1, about this time, Jesus was informed that what? Pilate. This is Pontius Pilate. He's notoriously a a wicked, evil, brutal man. You may only know him from the Easter story, but this is another of the instances of what he would do during his reign. Pilate was, was a brutal, brutal ruler. And Pilate, it says, murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. So we have other references to this in history. Pilate literally sent some of his goons into the temple during worship and and slaughtered some of the worshipers there and splattered the blood up on the altar of sacrifice. It it was a horrible, horrible desecration of the temple. It was was a, a, a travesty in the Jewish minds and a horrible, horrible act of just brutality. So somebody comes in and says, Jesus, what about that? What about that? What about what Pilate did? What about the people who were slaughtered in the temple and their blood splattered there as they were offering sacrifices? And so Jesus asked a very important question. It's the kind of question we ask anytime there's, there's this sort of um, instance of suffering or, or just that, that kind of blind brutality. We want to know why. So Jesus asked the question himself. He says, do you think that those people who died like that were they worse sinners than anybody else? See, that's the kind of question we, we would ask because we want to know what made that happen to them. Did they somehow have that coming to them? 
That's important to us. We want to know that because we want to think that there's something that makes those people different from us. So if they had it coming to them, if they've sinned worse than anybody else, then that explains it for us, oh, that these were bad people. But Jesus says, do you really think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Is that why they suffered? Jesus says, not at all. But unless you repent, You'll perish just like they did. That's interesting. Then Jesus goes one more. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Now, we don't know anything about that. This must be something, just a local kind of tragedy that Jesus and his audience would have known. Jesus says, what about the people that were all killed in Siloam when the tower just, just fell on them? Do you think they were worse sinners than anybody else? Jesus says, no, not at all. Now, I would have liked to have been there this day, because if Jesus has taken these kind of questions, then, then we can just line up and ask him, can't we? Uh, if Jesus were taking these kind of questions today, I would want to say, now, what about, what about that German airliner whose co-pilot took over the plane and slammed the whole thing into the French Alps? I would want to ask about that. 150 people died the other week. 150 people died like that. That, It's senseless. You you understand that on that airplane was an entire high school class and their teacher. And they were going back home to Dusseldorf, and all of the parents were waiting in the airport with signs, welcome home for their kids. They found out at the airport that their kids were never coming home. What about them, Jesus? I mean, I would want to ask Jesus about them. Or I would want to ask Jesus about the Christians in Pakistan who two weeks ago, two weeks ago today, were in church on Sunday morning, just like you're in church. There were two Christian churches, and they were actually just a few hundred yards from one another, so they're very, very close. It was a coordinated terrorist attack. that They sent two suicide bombers, one into each church. And while they worship, just like we're worshiping, while they were praying, just like we pray, the bombs went off. Seventy people were injured, fifteen people were killed on the spot, others were maimed for life. Christians in church like us, I mean, I would say, Jesus, what about that? What about that? What makes them different from us? Why were they singled out for suffering? Did they have that coming to them somehow? It's hard to say that. They say that in church in Pakistan that Sunday was was a little boy whose mom had said, if you make good grades on all of your exams this week, I'll buy you new clothes. So the little boy had gone to church, he said, just to pray that he could do well in school and get new clothes. What about that, Jesus? What, What about that? How do you explain all of the tragedy, all of the carnage, all of the suffering in the world? How do you explain it? So this is the moment when, when you think that Jesus is going to take those questions. And, and it seems like he does, but actually he doesn't. He doesn't answer it the way you want it to be answered. He really doesn't at all go into the mystery of why some people suffer and other people don't. He really doesn't go into that mystery of of, of why these people seem to be singled out. As a matter of fact, he seems to be saying they're not singled out at all. Now, on the one hand, Jesus seems to imply they did have it coming to them. They did have it coming to them. But Jesus' larger message here is that we all have it coming to us. 
That's why Jesus says, listen, it's not so much that these people are singled out. It's not that their sins somehow are, are, are measured higher than your sins. It's not like that at all. As a matter of fact, you just probably better understand that unless you repent, you're going to die just like that. Understand? We all have it coming to us. When something like that happens, we instantly want to say, why? Why did that happen? Or more importantly, why them? Why did it happen to those people? Or sometimes when it's us, we say, why me? Why is this happening to me? But Jesus turns that question all the way around. The question is not why them. The question becomes, why not us? Because Jesus says, unless you repent, you're going to perish just like that. So Jesus turns this entire question around, not so much to a question about why is there suffering, but a question about judgment. We all have it coming to us. The question just becomes, when? When will it come to me? Because inevitably it will. And with that, Jesus tells a parable. I love, I've told y'all before, it's one of my favorite stories that Mark McElroy tells. He was at his high school reunion, and in that particular class from Warren Central, there were a whole bunch of preachers. God help them all. There were just a whole bunch of preachers in that graduating class, and at the reunion, this woman, lovely flower of a woman, stood up at the middle of the reunion, and she went right after Harry Monroe. Now, Harry was a former pastor here at Woodburn, and I went to high school with Harry. He was a really good kid in high school. He really stood for the Lord, wore a white shirt and tie, and carried his Bible every day. And apparently, he used to preach to this girl in school. And she stood up at the high school reunion and said, Harry Monroe, you used to say that God was going to send me straight to hell, and I just want to stand right here and say to you, Harry, I ain't in hell yet. To which Steve Ayers, y'all know Steve Ayers? Yeah, he was in that class, and Steve was in the back of the reunion. So when the lady says, I just want you to know I ain't in hell yet, Steve Ayers said, well, the night ain't over. (laughs) God's going to cut you down. That's not the message that preachers preach so much anymore, is it? That's not the message you necessarily came to church this morning to hear. God's going to cut you down. Jesus tells this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fruit. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. Okay, Jesus tells this story. He's already taken these, these questions about suffering, these questions about horrible tragedies, turned them around and introduced this, this notion of, of judgment. Unless you repent, that's the kind of thing that will happen to you. Unless you repent, you will also perish, Jesus says. And, and then he tells this story about a man who plants a tree. He plants a tree in the ground, in his garden, and he keeps going back to it. Apparently, it's a fruit tree. It's a fig tree. And he keeps going back again and again and again. Everybody knows that the minute you put a tree in the ground, it doesn't bear fruit. It takes time. It takes care. 
And apparently this is a very careful man with a very devoted gardener. And this tree has had all of the benefits of being in this garden. It's been tended. It's been watered. But year after year after year, season after season, the man who planted this tree and cared for this tree continues to go back to this tree and find nothing. It's been three years now, again and again and again, not a single fruit. And so the man says, I'm finished with this. This tree is the biggest waste of dirt I've ever seen in my life. It's just taking up space in my garden. I didn't plant it to be pretty. I didn't plant it for leaves. I planted it for fruit. It has no fruit, so I'm done with it. And he decides to cut it down. He has every right to cut it down. He's the one who planted it. He's the one who cared for it. And after all, it's his garden. It's a waste of dirt, he says. It's a waste of space. I'm cutting it down. So, let me ask you, Jesus is telling this as a parable, he's talking about judgment, and he's talking to this people who've asked the question, so the question becomes, who's the tree in the garden? What's Jesus talking about? How is this parable supposed to somehow explain our lives or explain the answer to the question that they've all been asking, or how does this tree in the garden somehow expand on what Jesus just said when he said, unless you repent, you will also perish, Who's the tree in the garden, can I ask? Some people read the story, scholars will say, well, the the barren fig tree is obviously Israel. It's the nation Israel. The fig tree is often somehow portrayed as Israel. So maybe Jesus is just talking about the nation Israel. How God planted Israel. He, he, he delivered them out of slavery. He continued through all of the generations to, to commit himself to them. And he was faithful to them. He's given them all of the benefits of salvation history. And no fruit. They will not bear the fruit of repentance. They will not be his people. Although he has committed to be their God. And so there's going to come a point when he's just going to cut them down. Is that what the scripture is saying? That, that the fig tree is Israel. The nation Israel. It's possible the audience that Jesus is speaking to there, all all Jews understand, so he could be talking about the whole nation, but there seems to be something personal here. Unless you repent, Jesus says, unless you repent. Is is this one of those parables where you get drawn into the story and then all of a sudden the, 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 the truth falls on you? Let me just ask you, let's say you're the tree in the garden, and the God who formed you, the God who made you, the the God who planted you, the, the one who's given you your life, this God who has given you breath in your lungs today and every single day, the God who has provided food and, and water and family and friends and the job that you have and the house you live in, this God who's given you all of this. What do you think happens when he comes by and looks at your life? Well, what happens when he comes by and expects? When he, when he comes to your life looking for fruit, what do you think he sees? What do you think he finds? He's looking for repentance. He's looking for the fruit of repentance. What is repentance? It's, it's a church word. It's the kind of thing you're supposed to do at this altar, apparently. But, but what does it look like in life? I haven't taken the daily news in a while. There wasn't much in it anymore. But, but, but in one of the last daily newspapers I received at my house, the paper kind, I was looking at the, the, 
the, you know, the ads in the back, the classified ads, the miscellaneous section. And I saw two ads right together that, that told me a story of, of repentance in a way. The first one said, wedding gown and bridesmaids dresses never worn for sale. Now that's a country song right there. Wedding gown and bridesmaids dresses never worn for sale. You understand? It's right there. Wedding gown and bridesmaids dresses never worn for sale. And then right under it, two wedding bands, a man and a woman's bought from Lovemore Jewelers for sale. Never worn. That's repentance right there, people. In other words, there were obviously a a man and woman who were planning to get married and, and they repented. To repent means you change your mind, and the change of mind leads to a change of action. It means I was going in this direction, and I turned around 360 degrees, and I'm heading in the other direction. You understand? It's that complete turnaround, that apps, 180 degrees. That complete, yeah, 360 is not really repentance, is it? That's what, that's what some of you have been doing. Yeah. It's that complete change of direction. I was going in this direction, and I turned around, and now I'm heading in this direction. And that's precisely what Jesus requires of us. It is repentance. Jesus says, unless you repent, you're going to perish in the very same way. Unless you repent, God's going to cut you down. So there is this change, a change of mind, a change of thinking. You could call it a change of heart, but it's, it is a definite change, and it always leads to a change of life, a change of character. You're a different person. You, you used to be this person, and now you're this person. People used to tell this kind of story about you, but now there's a whole new story to be told about you. Do you understand? This is what repentance looks like. In the old days, when people came to Jesus, they said they got converted, and And conversion means change. But I'm telling you, a whole lot of people that talk about coming to Jesus this day, I I just don't know where the change is. I don't see a lot of change. And God help us, we're not all that different from the world around us anymore. We, we haven't been converted. We have never made that 180 degree turnaround. You haven't changed your mind. You haven't changed your mouth. You haven't changed your story. You haven't changed anything about yourself. And yet you continue to say that you come to Jesus. There's something not right here. And what you need to understand is that there is repentance demanded and expected of you. You cannot say that you've come to Jesus and then just say that you can go on and live any way you want to live. That's not what salvation is. It's more like what happens when a man takes a sapling tree and he plants it in the ground and he cares for it. He gives it everything necessary for fruit bearing and then he keeps coming back looking for fruit. Do you understand? He keeps coming back. He keeps coming back and inspecting the tree. He keeps coming back to collect something from the tree, but the tree never delivers anything. And there's a time when when he continues to come back, giving that tree one more chance, one more season, one more year. But the parable says that eventually the time came when the man who owns a tree says, I'm finished. I'm done. This tree is a waste of dirt. It's a waste of space in my garden, and, and I'm finished with it. Do you understand? This is your story. This is what's happening in your life right now. The God who saved you, the God who named you, the God to whom you belong, he keeps coming by and inspecting your life. 
He's looking at you. He's trying to collect some fruit from you, but you don't deliver anything. You are a waste of a pew. You are a waste of dirt in the garden. You understand? A waste of space. If you're not giving God the fruit that he's looking for from your life, the fruit of repentance. By this point, you should be so much more like Christ. By this point, you should have figured marriage out. By this point, you should have figured out how to love your neighbor as yourself. By this time, you should have figured out how to be generous. By this point, you should have figured out how to control that mouth of yours. By this point, you should have figured out how to control that temper of yours. By this time, you shouldn't be so selfish. By this time, you shouldn't be so lustful. All of this time goes by and yet you don't show any signs, not one sign that what God has poured into your life is going to bear any fruit. How much time do you think he owes you? God's going to cut you down. This is the point of the parable. It's horrifying. But the gardener says, wait. Wait. Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year. I'll give it special attention. I'll give it plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. How do you make a tree that's never born fruit yet. How, how do you get it to bear? What do you do with a person who goes to church every single Sunday of their lives? They read their Bible. They, they, they tuck it right there under their purse. They put money in the plate. They, how, how do you get people who spend all their time right here in the garden of the Lord, but they never bear any fruit? How, how do you get them to bear fruit? How do you get people who've heard the message of repentance over and over and over but have never changed anything yet? What do you do with people like that? Well, you can cut them down. Or there's something called one more chance. One more chance. They're asking the question about all the people that had perished, the people that were wiped out, and, and they're asking, were their sins worse than our sins? And Jesus says, no, not at all, but unless you repent, unless you repent, you're going to end in the same way. That, that story's going to be your story. You're going to be cut down uh, unless you re repent. And so I asked the question at the front of the sermon, if God's going to cut us down, why hasn't he cut us down yet? That becomes the answer. I mean, I mean honestly, in, in so many ways, my life is a waste of dirt. I'm a waste of a perfectly good pulpit a lot of Sundays. I'll be the first to recognize. There's not a lot of fruit for my ministry that I can see sometimes. It's, it's devastating. So why haven't I been cut down yet? And the answer is in the parable. It's called one more chance. It's just called one more chance. Give me one more chance, and I'll pay special attention. I'll give it plenty of fertilizer, the garden says. I'll dig around the roots. I will, I will put the miracle grow to this thing. I will add fertilizer. I'll add manure and hummus and whatever else, peat moss. I'll, I'll do everything I can. I'll Google it. I will figure out how to make this fig tree go. Let's just give it one more season, one more year, one more chance. You want to know what this day is for you? 
It's your chance. It's your one more chance. That, that breath in your lungs right now, that, 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 that you're still breathing, understand that air comes from God. You've borrowed it from Him. And one of these days you won't have another breath. But, but right now you have one. And it's your one more chance. You're always asking for one more chance. I mean, that, that, isn't that the story of your whole life? I mean, you always want to do over because the first time you fail, maybe the second time you fail. Some of us, we fail at everything all of the time. And we're just always begging for one more opportunity, one more chance. And I'm telling you, that's what this day is. That's what this sermon is. That's what everything is for you. It's God's giving you one more chance. But he doesn't just give you, leave you with one more chance. Notice what the scripture says. There's special attention here. He doesn't just leave you hoping that you'll get it on your own. You're never going to do it by yourself. If you could have done it by yourself, you would have already done it. God intends to give you special attention during this time, and he is. Right now, the way he's speaking to your heart, that that heavy feeling, that that guilty feeling, that kind of sad feeling or hopeless feeling, you understand that's probably the Holy Spirit trying to stir up your heart to recognize where you are and, and what's happening in your life. Where's the fruit of repentance? Where's the change? When are you ever going to change? The Holy Spirit begging for you finally, once and for all, to respond to what God's doing in your life. And he's always paid you special attention. You've heard the gospel over and over and over. You're blessed with a church as fine as our church. You've been given so much. You're people of intelligence and people of resources. Oh my goodness, you've had such Christian examples in your life. You've had parents, you've had grandparents, you've had pastors and deacons. You of all people in the world, you've had so much invested in you. Where's the fruit of all of that? By now, you should be teachers, but by now, Woodburn Baptist Church should have, should have done something amazing for God in the world. I mean, we have that much poured into us, but we're not pouring very much out. I mean, this church itself could be that waste of dirt that the Scripture talks about, because it's not just about showing up on Sunday and having a big day. It's, it's about bearing fruit. The Scripture makes very, very plain that God's mercy endures forever. He's merciful, full of mercy. God is that God who gives us one more chance over and over and over. Another chance to get it right. Another chance to repent. Another chance to turn this thing around. One more chance. So understand, God's mercy endures forever, but this opportunity for you does not last forever. There will be a moment in your life called too late. It will be too late. It will be too late to repent. It will be too late to come to Jesus. It will be too late to do what you've been saying you were going to do your entire life. There will come a moment called too late. And understand at that moment... God's going to cut you down. He's going to cut you down. And you will not be able to say that it's not fair. You will not be able to say that he did not give you enough chances. You will have nothing 
more to say. So one day Jesus told this story. He said there was a man who planted a fig tree in his garden. And then season after season he would return to, to, to gather the fruit. But every time he went back to that one tree, there was nothing there. Nothing. Nothing to show for all of the water and the fertilizer. Nothing to show for all of the tending. Nothing to show for all of the good attention of the gardener. So he said, I'm, I'm going to cut it down. But his man in the field said, no, wait, no, no, no. Give it one more chance. All of you today are the recipients of a tremendous blessing. It's called one more chance. It's called today. And you have today, and you don't know anything about tomorrow. You have this breath in your lungs, and you don't know about the next one, so. So there's a very important question hanging over your head today, a very important question hanging over your life, and and it's just simply this. You've been given one more chance. What are you going to do with it? One more chance. What are you going to do with it? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we sometimes complain about all the things that you've never done for us. We sometimes like to talk about how you didn't answer this prayer and didn't do this for us. And where were you when this happened? And on and on and on we go, Lord. We like to call you to account and, and act as if there are things you've, you've owed us that, that you've never somehow delivered. And, and that gives us the right to get angry at you and live the lives the way we want. Help us, Lord, to see things truly as they are. None of us deserves anything from you. It is not that you owe us anything. This day that you've given us to live is in itself a most precious gift that none of us deserves. The next breath, another moment of intelligence, another opportunity to choose, Lord. None of us deserves that. And God, it is you who, having blessed us with this life, it is you who comes by and begins to ask something from us. The the fruits of this life, the fruits of all of our blessing, Lord, some return for all that you have given us. And Lord, sadly, many of us live very, very fruitless lives. We live only to please ourselves, but we have very little left over, Lord, with which to offer you. God, some of us have been calling ourselves Christians for years. We take up space in your garden, Lord, but we bear nothing. We offer nothing. We just continue, Lord, to stand here and take up a space in the pew, take up a place in the dirt, Lord. I pray that when you come by to inspect our lives today, Lord, that something will change, something will be different. If we cannot offer you the fruit of our lives, and Lord, at least may we offer you the fruit of repentance. May we at least, Lord, be very, very careful stewards of this moment to choose that you've given us, and may we choose rightly. Lord, we live as if we have all kinds of time. We live as if we will have all sorts of opportunities to make things right, Lord, but when truly we may only have this moment, this opportunity, this day to make a change. So, Lord Jesus, 
Will you help us this day to change? Lord Jesus, we cannot change ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We can't bear fruit without your grace. So Lord Jesus, will you do whatever is necessary with us that we might become your faithful, fruitful people. Jesus, we know that sooner or later you are going to come and judge the world. You're going to cut us down. In the meantime, Lord, may we use every single moment, every single breath, every single day that we live in such a way as to live and please you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.